So our scripture today uh, is from the book of John, and we're in chapter 12. Excuse me. And I'm going to begin at verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Somewhere around my uh, late teen, I guess early 20 years, um, my, my parents bought a place down on Pine Island in Florida. To give you a reference, most people don't know Pine Island, but if you know Fort Myers area, and, and in Fort Myers there's those islands that are Sanibel, Captiva, North Captiva, Kea Costa, um, and Kea Costa is actually an island that is a state park. Um, those are the outer barrier of Charlotte Harbor, and within Charlotte Harbor is an island that you access not from the south part of Fort Myers like you would for Sanibel Captiva, but in the north part, and that is a causeway that goes across into Pine Island. So we spent a lot of time there. Um, a lot of our family time uh, with our children has been spent on Kea Costa, that, that park where uh, it's a state park but an island, and you can go to the beach, and it's, it, we, we know the place well. And on Sanibel and Captiva, being at the Sanibel Lighthouse, that's a big deal for Nancy and me. The lighthouse is a misnomer. It's a light bulb on scaffolding, but they call it a lighthouse, and it's all gone. Well, the lighthouse is still standing, but Hurricane Ian... Kea Costa is flat, no trees anymore. Most of the places that we know of and stayed are gone. Nancy and I honeymooned on Captiva because members of this church, actually they were members at another church where I was growing up, but the Drizzles gave us their place to use for our honeymoon on Captiva Island. And all that's gone. There's a town called Matt Lachey. Nancy and I stayed there a year ago, um, just a, a time of vacation, a time to see my mom. And, and it was in July a year ago we stayed at Matt Lachey. Most of you wouldn't know it because it's one of those places you blink as you drive by. You, you, it's on the, way to Cap T, um, on the way to Pine Island. It's this funky little, um, used to be a fisherman's village um, where they, the boats would come in and offload their food, their, their catch. And uh, now it's, um, it's this, this little it's a fisherman's village still, but it's this crazy little arts town. You know, people with art. Every building is a different color of pastel something. It's just, and it's gone. Matt Lachey is just, I mean, it's been wiped out. The place where we stayed, we don't know, but I'm assuming it was a trailer. It's probably gone too. Now, some of you may um, have a desire to make a contribution, and I'm not soliciting that, but well, here's, here's what I want you to do. Don't give money to the church. There was a time when um, pastors got brownie points if you gave money to us for us to give to hurricane relief or something like that. I don't get brownie points anymore, so I don't need them. Um, but instead, it gets there faster if you go to a website, umcor.org, and there you can see that's part of Matt Lachey, by the way. Um, 
if you go to UMC, umcor.org, it's United Methodist Commission on Relief. And because of our weekly giving, a portion of what we give every week goes to the administration of UMCOR. So when you give to UMCOR for, for disaster relief, 100% goes to that disaster relief. None of it is scraped off the top for administration. 100%. So if you want to make a contribution, please do it that way. And by the way, it'll get there weeks faster than if we do, because we mail checks still. So it takes a while. Matt Lachey, a, a wonderful town. And, and uh, you know, there's a restaurant at Matt Lachey called the Blue Dog. Here's a picture of the Blue Dog now. It actually looks fairly good by comparison. I mean, to imagine the hat and shirt still hanging there. But I think that you can see inside that building because the wall's gone. If you go around the corner, around the bar and around the corner, I know there's an entire wall gone because that's where their walk-in refrigerator was. And it apparently was out in the street. That also happens to be the restaurant where... I had my last meal with my mother. So much of our lives there are things that, are, that seem to be taken away from us. You know, they say you can't go back home, and, and literally, we can't go back. It's gone. You have that, the, those stories in your own life that, that trying to return home, that trying to return to the place, to, to the source of memories. Now, you get to keep the memories, but you can't go back and see it. I, I grew up in, in this area. I grew up hunting in, in Chesterfield Valley. They frown on that now. And in the area where 370 uh, crosses um, the Missouri River in the north side of uh, uh, St. Louis County, um, I hunted in that area. And I, I, I was in the construction industry in St. Charles County for quite a while. I knew every road there until we moved away and came back, and they put all new roads in. I get lost there now. I said, oh, I know that road, but I don't know where I am. You can't go back. And isn't there a sense of loss that you have when, when those things are gone? What memories do you have that are the source of inspiration and examples for you? People like my mom and dad or places where you once gathered that just aren't anymore. So many things in our life change and, 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 and we mourn that change. I, you know, I turn, I, I, I've mentioned this several times in the last several weeks because it's just traumatic for me. I turned 60 in a few months. And, um, and you know what? This body doesn't do what it once did. I mean, I, there was a time where my, not my training for an event, but my just running for exercise was seven miles a day, three days a week can't do that anymore. The body just won't handle it. There, there is a decline that happens, and we all have to, we all can, anybody older than me can I surely identify with this, but, but all of us over time, I mean, time catches up, but you mourn it as it does. You mourn what once was. I mean, I've run a half marathon. I ran, I ran a half marathon with 20 mud events. It's called Tough Mudder. If I sign up for that now, I'm going to register for um, 911 ahead of time. 
and you mourn that. It's called grief, and I, and I know that because, um, you know, as a pastor, you're trained to recognize grief in other people, and so I recognize it in myself. Grief is, is when you have a loss, when something goes away, what replaces it is grief, is sorrow, it's that emptiness, it's that loss, it's that darkness. Grief comes when the loss of our, the source of our joy or trust or belief or memories or abilities, when that source is taken away, grief comes. And, you know, right now the, the world seems such a mess, not just a hurricane mess, but there's so many other messes in the world. And we all grieve what once was. We go through this in our life. Anytime there is change. And, by the way, the one constant in life is change, but it's the one thing that we hate the most. I always say that, that you know, uh, read the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. The two things that God created in the beginning were change and difference, and it's the two things we struggle with the most. <laughs> change is all around us, and therefore, and, and, and therefore grief is all around us. The church has changed. I grieve that. We used to have twice as many people in here, and now half of them are online. And, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've joined us online. But some grieve that and, and, and have a deep sorrow for that. And I'm among them. And, and you know what? The only thing that, that, that if there's comfort in, in, uh, um, in, in being in misery with others, it is that every church is going through this. Nobody knows what to do except for to try to find new ways to do things, new ways to, that represent change, <laughs> doing things different. We've been doing this, this message series entitled Greater Things, and, and it comes from John 14, where Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Really? greater things than Jesus? But what we've learned is that the greater things are not the miracles. That's why John, in, in his gospel, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. We talked about this last week. He calls them signs because they're pointing to something. They're not the purpose. They're not, they're not what we're supposed to focus on. The signs just tell us that, that, that Jesus is the right one and that his teachings are the right teachings. The signs point to Jesus, and Jesus points to God the Father. And the greater things, though, are the relationships that are built because of those signs. And we're supposed to do the greater thing, which has to do with the way that we relate to one another. Because everything is going to pass. Everything's got a time limit like the places we vacation and the people around us, we all have a time limit. So far, the mortality rate is right at 100%. We all have a time limit. And Jesus is suggesting that if that's the source that you go to, maybe there's something else. Maybe it is the relationships that we have with Jesus that we can still have today. Yes, his earthly ministry ended 2,000 years ago. And yet he's still here among us. 
Wherever two or three are gathered together, he's here. So, so that, that connection that we could have, that, that, that connection to the source that Jesus had, we have also a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the calling on our lives to have a relationship with each other and not just those that are here and not just those who join us online, but those who aren't here yet and those who haven't heard about that relationship. The greater things, you know, it's, it's what the church has always been about. It's not dogma and doctrine, though those things are important. It's not programs and ministries, though those things are important. It's not that you read your Bible, but we think that's so important that we're giving third graders Bibles in a couple of weeks. It's not about these things. It's about the relationships that we build within them. And when I talk about relationships, let's be clear. When I talk about relationship, I'm saying to, to be in relationship with each other in the same degree that God wants a relationship with us. And that relationship is built upon a sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You want to know what love is? It's arms spread wide, nailed to a cross for your sake. And that's the love that we're called to share with each other in this room, in this church, in this community, in the world. A sacrificial, self-giving type of love. That's the type of relationship I'm, I'm talking about. But there's been this fundamental shift um, in, over the last few years because of COVID. Um, it, but, but look, it only accelerated the shift. When I started in ministry, going on 30 years ago, when I started in, in full-time ministry, um, I was told by uh, the senior pastor of the church I was at, um, I was an associate learning what to do, and, um, and the senior pastor said, um, don't go visit people in their houses. People don't do that anymore. You know, there's a time, now I'm not asking this, I'm, I'm, this is not a request on my part, I'm not baiting you for something. There was a time where people would, would invite their pastor over to their home for dinner. It doesn't happen anymore. Hasn't happened for 30 years. That's a time in the past. That's an old thing. But there was a time where people would drop in on each other. If somebody dropped in on your house right now, well, you wouldn't be there, that'd be kind of weird. But while you're home... What would that be like for you? You know, we have a room in our house. I have the same room growing up. We call it the living room. Nobody goes in there. I don't know why we have furniture in there. Because you only use that when you have people over. Nobody has anybody over anymore. And this started over 30 years ago. And, and, and other things happened over those 30 years. COVID just put like a huge exclamation point on it. But, but people started shrinking away from each other to the point that, that the, the term staycation. I'm going to go on vacation but not go anywhere. I'm going to cocoon in my house. I'm going to have a man cave and a she shed. Not even together. People, people have been drifting apart from each other. And we're called to be in relationship with each other. Not only called, we're designed to be in relationship with each other. And, and the, the grief, the anxiety, the feelings that we're having in the world today all have to do with the fact that I'm afraid to be in a room with you because I need a mask. That's what COVID put the exclamation point on. 
Because, or in the middle of COVID, of course, you have the worst political campaign in the history of political campaigns, I think. At least the most divisive to the point that, that I know I've got to kind of feel where you are with your politics before we can have a conversation. And I know there's some people that say, hey, if you're not in my politics, I can't even be in the room with you. And that's not, that's not the way God designed us. It's not the way God intended us to be. I got bad news for you. If you're Republican or Democrat, I can't be in the room with you. Because <laughs> I'm neither. So I don't fit. I'm Christian. Now maybe we can find a common ground there. Maybe we can find a common ground that will build a relationship that, that looks beyond those things, those things that separate us, but rather looks toward those things that unite us. And what is it that unites us? Whatever unites us, must, it must be permanent. It must not have that, that temporary sense of, of a town called Matt Lachey or, or a, a loved one that, that once was here and now is gone. It's got it's to be more permanent than that. And by the way, the permanence of your relationship with your loved ones goes on forever when you're in Christ. The permanence is Christ. And he's also the source of the power to do the greater things. Jesus, Jesus in, in that scripture that I, that I read earlier, Jesus says that, that the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Jesus is so close, so tied up, he's very much the same as the source that is God. The source of, of the power that we need to do greater things. And that power is a power of relationship. It's a power of love. It's a power of sacrificial giving to one another. That we, have in, that we have enculturated ourselves to back away from each other. We're hiding from one another because it's hard work to engage each other. And I'd rather go into my man cave by myself, turn on the TV and, and cocoon from the rest of the world. There's this trauma and grief that Jesus' followers had when, when he was crucified. They believed him to be dead. But when they saw him alive and then saw him ascend into heaven, they recognized that he was still there among them. He, he's here among us. And he is the source of power that we need to do the greater things that we're called to do. When I was... a when I was in my mid-teens, well, this happened when I was in my mid-teens, but growing up, I was on a street that uh, a lot of neighbors would get together. And um, uh, especially like holidays, like, so 4th of July, I guess I was 14, 15 years old, I don't remember exactly. And we all got together at the Edwards house that was two doors down from our house. And our backyards all faced uh, this, this slope down to a, a, a drainage ditch where it was tree-lined. And on the other side of the slope, there was a field, uh, a, a farm field that almost always had wheat. I don't ever remember beans or corn in there. Just wheat was what I always remember. And apparently this was a really hot summer because the wheat was a little brown, 
And when all of us got together, there was always, you know, this desire to outdo one another. Mr. Edwards, Richard Edwards was one who could outdo anybody at anything. He wanted to at least. And so Richard Edwards would buy, I don't know, $600,000 worth of fireworks. It wasn't that much, but it was a lot. Not only that, he would buy fireworks that were really big. He bought one that I'm telling you is a moonshot. You, you set it off, it goes to the moon and back. And I remember, I remember specifically when that thing went up and it went, and it was apparently two stage. It had one stage to get it off the ground and the next stage to launch it up in the air. And they went a good five feet. And then it just kind of, and then the second stage, straight to where? The wheat field. And what color was the wheat? Brown. Doing the math here. And this, this explosion that's supposed to happen at 250 feet in the air and show this gorgeous display is now all over the wheat field. Now, Mr. Edwards, a lawyer, he knew there might be a problem breaking the St. Louis County law about shooting off fireworks in the city of Chesterfield, and therefore he doesn't call the fire department. He yells at us, go get your hoses! And I run down, two doors down. I grab as many hoses as I can. I run them back over, and, and we're connecting hose after hose after hose after hose. And I get, I don't know, it's, it's probably 150 yards out. And, and, and I shout, turn on the water! And I'm waiting. And eventually, finally, you start to feel the weight of the water in the hose, right? And then it comes out. I mean, we had a, a good three to five inches worth of power and no amount of putting my thumb on there to squirt is going to kill this fire in the field that I'm in the middle of now I know I, I, I've learned more since I was a kid and I know there's reasons why that happened and why why isn't it the same sort of power that comes out of the hose in the wall why doesn't it you know when but when you add that many hoses the farther you get from the source the less power you have. The power God wants to give us requires that we be close to the source. And Jesus is that source. Jesus is the source. By the way, we did eventually call the fire department because, you know, when it got to about 60 foot wide circle, we thought, it's out of our control. But the power that we need to do greater things is found in the source that is the God we know through Jesus Christ. And if you are away from the source, if you aren't close to it, or if the source you have chosen is temporary, temporal, only here for a while, it doesn't work. You have to be connected to the source, and you've got to be close to the source. You can't, you can't live out that source in your life vicariously through others. One of the things I tell the staff all the time, that it's not our job to do ministry. It's our job to recruit, train, and resource our congregation for ministry. Because in doing ministry, you connect yourself to the, to the source. 
And if you pay us to do it, you're living vicariously through us, and you're not living out what Christ has called you to. You're neither experiencing the, the power to do greater things, nor are you close enough to the source to do it. Ministry is your job. And you can't do it if you're not connected to the source. So a few weeks ago, I talked about that one, two, three I asked you to do. I said, I said, would you please be in worship once a week, whether it's in person or online, or, or maybe you worship at another church because you're out of town on vacation, and every town you go to has a church. I'm just sure of it. And it may not be the church with your particular insignia on the sign, but that's okay. Connect yourself to the source through worship. I encourage you, number two, I, I encourage you to, to take on two learning opportunities throughout the year. Find two ways to learn, to do that Bible study, to grow in knowledge and understanding. But when you do that, you're doing it with each other. You're building relationships. That's fundamentally what we're all about. And find places of service. Three places of service. You know, um, that's become harder to do, to find places of service, especially if you want to do mission service. And, and, and COVID expedited that, but it was beginning to happen over the last uh, uh, really 10 years of ministry that I've noticed. I was talking to Connie. Connie's here, Connie Davidson. Uh, Connie uh, leads our Ghana mission, and, and we said, you know, we can't go to Ghana right now. They got COVID we've never heard of. And it's in the rural areas. And people there are dying still because they're not vaccinated. My vaccine probably wouldn't work there because it's different COVID. It's kind of like the flu shots you get. It's going to be changing every year. They got different COVID strains over there. We can't go to Ghana anymore. But it's not just foreign countries we used to have a mission that we did um, once a month. We had Room at the Inn. And Room at the Inn, um, great mission. I love their, their, their mission is to take people from homelessness to homed, but also to give them the resources they need to be gainfully employed and to earn what they need to, 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 to be self-sufficient. It's a great training ministry. One of the things they used to do is uh, once a month, or it got to twice right before COVID, we were sending our church bus over to pick up the people. We'd bring them here, and they'd stay the night. They stayed the night in a different church every night. And, and we would feed them. We would give them a place to shower. We got showers here. Did you know that? We got showers here. They, we'd give them a place to shower. And, and uh, while, the, while the parents were, um, uh, were, were just relaxing, we'd play with the kids. But when COVID came, Room at the Inn changed their model. And now they, they house them in their own location. And we don't do this feeding anymore that we've been doing. We don't do this relational ministry anymore. We were out of Merrimack School for two years. Now, we're having a meeting um, next Sunday after this service. We're going to have a meeting for anybody that wants to be involved in the Merrimack mission to talk about what you want to do. You don't have to go to Merrimack School if you don't want. We still need people to go down there and read. Um, but if you don't want to go down there, there's still stuff to do by staying out here in West County. And that's okay if you want to do that. Just come to the meeting after the service next Sunday. We'd love to have you be a part of that. 
And Haven House is another one that, that, that used to house people in, in their own facility. Now they're housed in hotels, and we don't go there to fix meals, and we don't go there to, to, to work with the people. Things are changing. Ministry methods are changing. And, and the good news, if there's any good news in the misery, it is that what I've learned is no other church knows how to do this either. No other ministry knows how to do this. We're, we're learning again. We, we need the Holy Spirit to, to, to give us some spirit-led innovation to figure out how we're going to do ministry into the future. And we're working on that. And if you've got inspiration, I'm, I'm welcome to those ideas. But what I do know is that it's about the relationships that we build. Never has been about dogma or doctrine. Never has been about particular ministries, particular missions. It never has been. It's always been about how we connect to each other as we connect to God. And that's what we're called to. Amen and amen.